With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Bosch at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17 14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Show presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football Giants. Multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. You give us a ring, 201-939-4513. You can also find us on Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. You can also directly interact with the two of us on social media. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of the show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So we are in the coaching carousel season across the NFL, specifically with respect to the head coaching vacancies. And maybe if time allows a little bit later on, we'll go around the league. But as it pertains to the Giants, they have filled one of several vacancies this offseason, Paul. And that is the fact that they quickly hired a new offensive line coach. And it is going to be Carmen Brasillo who replaces... Bobby Johnson, and here's an individual that comes over from the Raiders organization. He was the offensive line coach under Josh McDaniels for the last two seasons. He has ties to Bill Belichick in New England because prior to that, he was with the Mm -hmm. Patriots for three seasons. And he was somebody that really made a name for himself on the collegiate level. 14 years, he was at four different programs. Then he joined the NFL ranks in 2019. He was a coaching assistant with New England that year, co-offensive line coach of the Patriots in 2020 with Cole Popovich. Then Popovich did not want to get the COVID vaccination the following season, so he did not coach. Therefore, Brasillo became the sole offensive line coach in New England for 2021. And then when McDaniels got the Las Vegas job, he went with McDaniels to the Raiders. So that is his resume going back to 2019 on the NFL level. And he was in charge of an offensive line that helped Josh Jacobs become the leading rusher in the Mm -hmm. NFL two years ago. I think the other critical point that you just glossed over for a second is that he's a disciple of Dante Sarnecchia, who is one of the all-time greatest offensive line coaches in NFL history. And, And he was Sarnecchia's pupil. And I but th- they weren't together that long. It was they were not. A matter they of 2019. Not. But, but yeah. I, I, in doing the research on, uh, on uh, Carmen, what, what I found out is that he, that's the reason he actually went to the Patriots in the first place, 
was because after he, he was at Youngstown State for a long time, as you mentioned. Yeah, 2010 to 18. The reason that he went to New England, because when he saw the opportunity to learn under the dean, the, the modern-day dean, Jim Hannafan, I think, was, was the yesteryear dean of offensive line coaches. Hannafin with, with the Cardinals. Now, Howard Mudd is another guy. That he's he's another one. Too. He's another one yeah, who's up there There's for several sure. guys. Yeah. But, but uh, Sonecchia in recent times has been the dean of offensive line coaches. And when he saw the opportunity to work with Sonecchia, that's why he made the jump to New England. It was because of that. So he soaked in everything that he could from that guy. And, of course, has now gone on to uh, to have his own career. And, and I think one of the things that, that I noticed about him when I did a little research is that he is very – he was a former center, all right, at Duquesne years ago. Duquesne happens to be in the football conference that I do college games with, the Northeast Conference, where Jerry Schmidt, who is the head coach at Duquesne, <laughs> is very, very familiar with Carmen because they were together at Duquesne many years ago. So I've, I've done a little research here. Um, what, what Carmen believes in is that he wants guys who are going to constantly rotate in practice. He did that last year with the exception of Colton Miller, who was his sturdy franchise tackle. Left tackle, yeah. Other than that, they constantly work guys in. In multiple positions at practice, and I believe you'd have to double-check this for me, Lance, because I saw it in just one place, and I didn't necessarily go through the dig, deep dig to research it, that the Raiders didn't have a steady five offensive line combination until week five. It's possible. I mean, Miller got hurt at the tail end of the season. He missed some games late with a shoulder issue. I'd have to go player by player, but they don't have, let's put it this way. If you look at the that, Raiders that, and offensive that was, line. That, I'm sorry, it might not have been this year. It might have been last may year. may have been last year. Last that sounds year. about right. It took him so. five weeks to settle on his starting five that they wound up running through the season with. That's, that's where I think it was 2022, his first year with the Raiders. And that, I think that makes more sense because they stabilized things in yes, 2023. Yes, yes. The performance of that group 22. was much better, which is understandable. Listen, you come in year one, they had some changes they wanted to make across the roster. What I thought was noticeable just about the Raiders' offensive line, other than Colton Miller, who was a first-round pick in 2018 mm-hmm. and has had his fair share of ups and downs, they don't have a lot of known commodities on that no. line. You know, you have some undrafted guys, you have some journeymen, you have a pair of 2022 draft picks. One is a third rounder in Dylan Parham, who had a nice season at left guard. And then Thayer Munford Jr., a seventh round pick that year, who filled in when Miller was hurt. But the point is, the Raiders, you look at their personnel, they did not have a bunch of first round picks or big splash free agents. And for that group, even with the game of musical chairs that you referenced, because remember, Jacobs didn't lead the league in rushing this year. He led the league in rushing the year where they have movement up front. And the fact that they also made the transition from Jimmy Garoppolo to Aiden O'Connell this season. I'm not saying the Raiders were lighting up the scoreboard, but there was a lot of change. And despite that, you know, the offensive line at least held up. As far as rankings are concerned, you know, I know you don't get caught up in pro football focus. I don't get that caught up. Remember, everybody's going to have their own rankings because everybody looks at offensive line play differently depending yes. on what they emphasize. But what I take away is, and this to me is the most important takeaway, is the fact that the Raiders did not have a lot of household names. And when you could develop young players who are not household names, that is encouraging. Why, Paul? Because you look at the Giants personnel, 
and what he's going to have to work with here. The goal is going to be to develop some players that have struggled to stay healthy and also build upon some of these high rounders who he did not have at his disposal with the Raiders, Mm -hmm. such as an Andrew Thomas and an Evan Neal, for an example. So I think that is the most encouraging aspect about what he was working with if you want to apply that logic and that rationale to what he's going to now be exposed to with respect to the Giants. Well, you could make a case that that Elmanor, the one tackle, and Van Van Roten are... Journeyman players, they are. yeah, who, and that's the right side of the offensive line, yes, so that everybody understands. Yes, Elmanor is the right tackle, uh, yep. and, and, and the other fellow is the guard. Both of those guys are free agents, by the way. Okay, and Van Roten was previously with the Bills before he signed a one-year yeah, he's deal a seasoned with, vet, with the Raiders. Van Roten. Yeah, but both both of those guys, you could argue, kind of fit the journeyman description, and yet they were very productive this year. And, and did a nice job with the Raiders. Uh, again, both guys, as I understand it, are going to be unrestricted free agents now that the season is over. So you you have to wonder if there might be an inclination to want to talk to those guys or not. Again, Van Roten has a history in Buffalo. So keep that in mind, too. Well, and the other thing I was going to bring up is, I mean, that's the nature of the NFL, right, Paul? They brought in Bobby Johnson and Mark Lewinsky came over and the two of them crossed paths in Indianapolis. So, well, so did Feliciano. Yeah. No, so my point is that I would say that doesn't just apply to Brasillo. Mm. That applies oh, to life in the NFL. I'm not suggesting yeah. that it's special. I'm simply telling you, folks, there is a there is a thread there and a double thread for the guard sure. because of the Buffalo deal. Yeah. But, you know, once again, it depends on... The finances, it depends on how that fits into the Giants' offseason game plan. But is Priscilla going to come over, and could he make recommendations to Joe Shane and Brian Dable about certain personnel that they maybe should look out for? Absolutely. But it takes two to tango, as I always like to say, right? You need the other side of the equation to cooperate, and that's where the finances come into play. Or, you know, perhaps there's individuals in the draft that Priscilla is very high on. Hey, I will tell you this. He's going to be a big part of evaluating the offensive linemen I'm in this sure year's draft class. Okay? I'm sure he will. So they're going to respect his opinion very highly. And the other thing that I think is important to bring up, because you were talking about the interwoven pieces that we're talking about, Dable and him did not cross paths at all in New England. Because no. he came into New England much later. By that time, Dable was in Buffalo and had worked with the Patriots organization prior. But it's a small world, specifically the coaching world and I guarantee you Dable and him have crossed paths through coaches meetings he could pick up the phone talk to Belichick and everybody within that New Orleans New England organization and he's a widely respected individual because of the various spots that he's been at and once again I think a lot of people took notice of what he did in a short period of time with the Raiders offensive line that was a problematic area you know even if you go back to the tail end of Derek Carr's tenure and what he had to deal with in terms of some of the hits and some of the guys that they had to move on from a financial perspective. So that's the layout of the land in terms of what the Giants are going to be working with with respect to the offensive line coach. And then the search elsewhere continues, Paul, for the other openings right now yeah. with respect to the special teams coordinator as well as the defensive coordinator job and the running backs coach that they're going to have to fill as well. Remember, there's a lot of items that Brian Dable has to address because the turnover rate was pretty high here in the offseason. Yeah, look, they're going to be really busy. Uh, the Senior Bowl is coming up real soon, and and that's always a big convention for coaches who are looking for new addresses, so to speak. 
So we'll see if the Giants are able to move before then, or maybe that's the week that they decide to land guys. We do, we just don't know the timetable. And as far as the timing is concerned, remember, NFL rules have changed with respect to coaches who are in the playoffs right now. It used to be a race. I could see a lot of NFL teams waiting a little bit longer to hire their head coaches. And the reason I bring that up is that could be good news for Brian Dable because he's looking for positional guys. Other teams are looking for head coaches Mm -hmm. who then have to wait to get hired. And then once they get hired, then they have to put a staff together. So once some of these vacancies are filled, then it's going to become more of a race. Right now, I don't see it the same way as perhaps it could play out in a few weeks from now. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty good assessment. So, you know, that's something at least to keep in mind if anybody's getting antsy out there and wondering, you know, why some of these moves haven't happened as quickly as you had anticipated. But he didn't waste any time on the offensive line coaching front, I'll tell you that. Brasillo was snapping the finger. Mm-hmm. They brought him in. And this way they can get the ball rolling in terms of the outlook for that position group entering this offseason. So we're going to open up the phone lines as we move forward here. And then we'll get into a little bit news around the league, how that may impact the Giants specifically. Some news with another team in the NFC East inching closer to at least a front office executive hiring. But Lance Meadow, Paul DeTito with you here. Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Just a few reminders before we get to the phones. The Giants Auto Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platform. You can also go to Giants.com slash podcast. And Giants official connected TV streaming app is Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to big blue fans. Giants TV, it's free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. All right, let's head to the phone lines. We got Marty in Manahawkin joining us here on BBKL. What's happening, Marty? What do you got for us? Hey, Lance. Hey, Paul. How you guys doing? Hi. You're doing right. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, um, what's the logic? I see that the uh, Giants have requested interviews, uh, two guys with the Falcons and one guy with the uh, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, Chargers. And both teams fired their coaches, and the Giants put in request to interview some of their coaches, and uh, sure. they turned around and tell them no. Well, because those coaches are still under contract with those respective teams, so the team has the right of first refusal to say that they don't want to lose that coach because they want to give their new coach an opportunity to assess the current staff, see if they want to retain any of those coaches before they move on. It's going to differ from team to team, but Marty, that's the rationale as to why the team has the right to do that. Timing is everything, to be honest. Yeah, I guess so. I was just, I was just you know, surprised to see that you know, they wouldn't give the guys a chance to go out and uh, try and get something on their own before everything closes up. Uh, well, and, with, and that's with why other coaches. Sure. And, and that's why it'll vary from team to team. Some teams will allow their assistance and they don't want to step in their way. But other teams, if they value those assistants and they want to give the new coach an opportunity, they don't want to let them go. I mean, I'll give you another example. If you remember when Pat Shermer was here, he had interest in bringing over Kevin Stefanski. And the Vikings, they stepped in the way and said that Stefanski is not going to be able to come over. And he hung around with Minnesota a little bit until he got a head coaching job with Cleveland. So this is nothing new with respect to the NFL landscape. All you can do as a team seeking somebody is put in the request. And then you really have no idea what that other organization is going to do. They just may or may not give you permission. And they're entitled to have whatever reason they want. 100%. Yeah, well, it's a right to work, right? 
Well, I mean, once again, it's a contractual thing. I, I mean, to right. me, that's the simplistic yeah. reason, Marty. You're under contract with the team. They could tell you whether or not you have the right to speak to anybody else. Marty, if you want to make it really easy, just go after somebody who's not connected to somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, just go get a free yeah. agent coach. Then you don't need to ask permission. You just need to cut a deal. <laughs> I hear you. All right, guys. All right, Marty. Yep, you got it. Appreciate the uh, phone call. Well, and here's another example. Priscillo, right, he was with the Raiders, okay? Yes. Now, the Raiders have decided to allow some of their assistants to speak with other teams, and others, I'm sure, they want to hold on to because they have yet to make a decision. So there's an example where one team allowed an assistant to speak with another team, but you had other examples where... They denied that. That's why I said it's going to vary from team to team. It depends on, you know, what they want to present to their new coach. Because there are some times where coaches will come in and they'll say, hey, I'll speak to some of your assistants, but I already have individuals in mind. And then there are other coaches that come in and they're like, you know what? I saw what this guy did with that position group. Hey, I want to retain him. So I think that's the reasoning well, behind why teams don't want to let loose some of their assistants. You'll also recall when Patrick Graham came up from the Dolphins to come to the Giants as defensive coordinator, uh, he had a great relationship with Joe Judge and with Brian Flores. Yep. And the Dolphins did not have to give the Giants permission. But Patrick Graham told Coach Flores and the Dolphins, I really would like to go back to the Giants. I've been there before. Remember, he had been at Wagner College, too, for a short time in Staten Island. Yep. So he had he had some, some previous roots here, and he was very interested in coming back. And so the Dolphins granted the permission. It wasn't like they were looking to get rid of him or didn't want him. It was more or less because of friendships and because of relationships. It was like, okay, if you want to go back to New York... We got you. Go ahead. Go do the interview. And, uh, and and that's what happened. So there can be a variety of reasons why or why not for a guy to get permission and then, and then to leave. Well, the other thing that's important to know related to the example you brought up is also if it's not a promotion in title, the team also has the ability to stand in the way. So, yes. for example, with Patrick Graham, he was going from D.C. to D.C., An associate head coach, by the way, is not considered a promotion in the eyes of the NFL. So if he went from D.C. to head coach, that changes the dynamics. But when you go offensive line coach to offensive line coach, D.C. to D.C., running backs coach to running backs coach, that is not viewed as a promotion, and that gives the present team even more leeway in standing in the way of that assistant coach. So that's another thing that is important to understand. There's so many different layers to the rule book when it comes to the NFL. I was actually listening. Arthur Blank, I don't know if you noticed the Falcons, they had an hour and a half press conference after the firing of Arthur Smith. That's got to be an NFL record. Has a team ever held an hour and a half press conference? It was 90 minutes? Because I I had it on in the background while I was doing other work. You know, obviously following every single team. So he and Rich McKay, who was the CEO, who's a former GM of the Bucks, the two of them sat down. They spoke to the media for an hour and a half to explain the Arthur Smith firing, and what they're going to do moving forward. So in that conversation, Arthur Smith you know, brought up a boatload of items. And one of the things he talked about, because also Rich McKay is on the competition committee. Yes. He goes way back. He is a highly respected individual in NFL League circles. And Arthur Blank, I mean, he was making light of it. I know they're looking for a new coach, but he was saying how, you know, you really have got to cross all your T's and dot all your I's when it comes to following the rules about who you can interview and putting in the request. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the Giants, they're well aware 
you, you can't, there's no loopholes when it comes to coach no. interviews. You've got to no. follow everything to a T. And when you have teams that step in the way, that's not them going above and beyond. That is them having the right to exercise whatever they want to retain the services of a current coach. Sure. And, and, and really, you know, I think the, the trickiest part for all of this stuff is that the rules have not been the same you know, year after year after oh, no, year. They, they change them all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what kind of makes makes it sticky. Like, for example, there was a time when you could name a guy an associate head coach or senior, you know, offensive line yeah, coach or whatever. You, sure. could, you could stick a, a, a word or a fancy name on it, and that was considered a promotion. And then after a couple of years, I think the league said, all right, wait a minute. <laughs> and we're not going for that anymore. Now, now it's got to legitimately be a full slot up. It can't just be we're sticking a name onto the guy's current position and making him a, a promotable guy. We're not going for that anymore. And I think that's what you were talking about before, too. That's exactly what I was discussing. And also there's the Rooney rule, too. That's another part of sure. the equation. So sure. there are so many different dynamics that apply here. And it's understandable where, you know, maybe the NFL audience overall doesn't know every single item. And that's not to blame the audience. It's, it's just it's another example of you think the rule book pertaining to the X's and O's is detailed <laughs> and has so many different items. Well, Check out the rule book for hiring practices with respect to coaches. And it's a completely different situation. I had alluded to the NFC East right before we came on here. It looks like, according to multiple reports, the commanders are hiring Adam Peters as their new general mm -hmm. manager as he has been working in the Niners front office for several seasons. So that's step one for them to now find a new head coach. And that does impact the Giants because that was the one team that already made a move with respect to general manager and head coach as they move on from Ron Rivera. So I would think that now that the GM is going to be in place, that is one step closer to them hiring a new head man. And then, you know, the other thing to keep close tabs on, we got wild card action this weekend. There's always a team that we never expect. And I think we saw that to a degree with Mike Vrabel being let go in Tennessee that could very well move on. So be prepared. There could be another team right yeah. now that's in the playoffs that could add their list to well, the laundry group of vacancies. Here. Many folks think that Jerry Jones is Super Bowl or bust. And that if the Cowboys should get upset in the first round or maybe even the second round, he may get an itchy trigger finger and, and decide that he's going to do something else. Um, look, I, I, I have no information. I'm not in Dallas. It's, it's not a team that I cover. But back to your point about Washington. Washington, what they're going to do is, is very, very important within this division because they've got the second overall draft pick. The Giants are picking sixth. Washington is picking second, okay? Um, so their new GM, you, you, you kind of want to get a feel for what his designs are, uh, how they may want to proceed, because those first five picks before the Giants will dramatically impact what they're going to do or what they can do at number six. Uh, in addition, the, the head coach that he winds up hiring, is he going to hire a defensive guy? Is he going to hire an offensive guy? I think I'm in the group that says you can't keep going with Sam Howell. I think you get bringing in a new GM and a new head coach. I think if I had to lean to one side of the fence or another, I'm thinking Washington's taking a quarterback at two.
I think that's a logical move because whenever you bring in a new GM and a new head coach, they have no ties to anybody previously on the roster. So you can't assume that they're just going to carry over well, and they have no alliance or obligation to stick with that player too. But even more than that, I don't think Sam Howell has shown enough, albeit a somewhat small sample size. And that offensive line was terrible, Paul. It was. It's hard to put that it on was. Sam Howell. I'm not yeah. putting it on Sam No, Howell. I'm just saying. I think Sam Howell is a solid, functional NFL quarterback. I'm not sure that a new administration will look at him as a franchise guy. I don't I don't think he's, you know, he's not in the top 15 quarterbacks in the NFL in my well, it's opinion. it's not enough to go by right now to put him there. You know, yeah. Again, it is a smaller sample size. It's not huge, but I think there's enough there that they will decide that, uh, we're going we're to take a roll of the dice in the draft. I, I think that's what they're going to do. Well, also, I think it makes sense. Sam Howell's on a rookie contract right now. You got two quarterbacks on rookie contracts. Doesn't put a lot of stress on your salary cap. It's not a bad quarterback depth chart to build true. from that standpoint. So regardless of what they think of Howell. and They could still take someone. Yeah, and yeah. then I would have two guys. And look at the injuries that we saw this year, Paul. <laughs> God forbid the rookie goes down. Right. Or maybe you don't want to start the rookie immediately. And you want to start off with Howell before you make the transition. There is value in having Howell on the roster and drafting a quarterback. And increasing your chances of one of them panning out, right? Sure. There are a lot of coaches that subscribe to the mathematical philosophy more is better. If you have two young quarterbacks, there's probably a pretty good chance that one of them, if we, of course, surround them with a positive environment, will pan out. So I could see that being Washington's philosophy. Even if they love, even if Adam Peters comes in, their new GM, and he loves Sam Howell, I would still say it makes sense to draft a quarterback. But they also need to take a very close look at that offensive line. Then they need to take another look at that offensive line. Then they have to come back a third time and look at that offensive line. <laughs> then a fourth time and a fifth time. Because I don't care, Paul, whether you draft a quarterback second overall, if that offensive line doesn't improve. I mean, look at how many times Sam Howell was hit. We talked about the Giants quarterbacks. Sam took the brunt of all of the hits in Washington. Yeah. Because he played the majority of the yeah. season. The Giants, you had three guys that spread the wealth. With him, he took it all. And you cannot keep that up or else you're in Andrew Luck territory. Now, here's the funny thing. And I don't know if people caught this when Lance said it before, but Peters comes from the 49ers organization, right? They went and drafted Trey Lance, right? They weren't right. happy. And they with moved up to grab him, too. They went and shot up to the top of the draft board with a big trade to go after Trey Lance, who turned out to be a mistake, then turned around and shipped him out and wound up using Purdy, who was Mr. Irrelevant, as their starter and now they're back in the playoffs again. So, you know, what does does Peters think as he goes into Washington? Maybe he's of the mindset that, you know what, drafting a quarterback at number two is too risky. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, he says, ah, you know, we went and mortgaged a whole lot in San Francisco to go up and get somebody like that. And we turned out to be sorry and wound up getting a guy at the end of the seventh round who really turned out to be pretty darn good. And so maybe Peter says to the folks in Washington, guys, pull back on the reins here. Maybe we're going to trade that number two pick, or maybe we're just going to wind up going for somebody else and go against the conventional wisdom that suggests he will go for a quarterback. 
How about that? All possible thoughts. I would say, though, there's a big difference in Peter's mind, though. Paul, the risk is less because you don't have to move. You're already in the number two spot. That is true. Right? But there's still risk. If you draft a guy at two and he busts, of course, yeah. (laughs) Let me tell you something. You don't get to live long as a GM when you do that. No, but you also, I think, if you're Peter's, you say, the minute I come in, I get to perhaps find my guy. How many GMs have that luxury, Paul, where the job they get, they have the number one or the number the two The mystery continues yeah. and thickens. No, it's a great tie-in <laughs> with respect to he was with the Niners since 2017. He was the assistant GM in 2021 through the current day. So he was there, to your point, under John Lynch when they did the homework on Trey Lance mm-hmm. and they wound up making the move to get him. But I also think Peter, as I'm sure, is of the mindset Brock Purdy, the chances of that happening multiple times in NFL history where Mr. Irrelevant gets into an environment, Paul, where he thrives. He also understands that slim. I'm sure he the does. The chances of finding your guy at number two overall versus the seventh round is much higher. But Catching lightning in a bottle twice, right? 100%. No, but what I think your main point is, is like anything else in life, you learn from your previous experiences. Well, yeah, because that establishes a frame of reference. Yeah which you will always go back to as you move forward. We talk about this with Joe Shane all the time. I mean, working with Brandon Bean in Buffalo gave him an awful lot of of information from a philosophical and structural standpoint about how to build a team that had basically been buried in the ashes and then from the bottom up became a contender. We, we have talked about this ad infinitum, that that was a benefit to Joe Shane, and he'd be the first one to tell you that. That's why we always connect the dots, right? Goes back to what we were talking about with Priscilla earlier in the program. Yeah. His ties to New England, Dable's ties to New England. People talk. It's a very small world in National Football League circles, but I thought the Peters news was interesting because that directly impacts the National Football League, but most importantly, the NFC East, which the Giants have more investment in than anything else. As far as the NFL coaching carousel is concerned, it's amazing. You got Bill Belichick out as Patriots head man, Pete Carroll done in Seattle. I mean, this is a big transitional year, Paul, across the NFL right now, because you're talking about the longest tenured coaches are no longer in the mix. If you go through the list of longest tenure individuals, you're going to come across a guy like Mike Tomlin, obviously in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. You're going to look at Andy Reid in Kansas City. You're going to look at John Harbaugh in Baltimore. And oh, by the way, it's not a coincidence that those teams also have the most playoff appearances going back to 2007 when Tomlin took over as the head coach. So stability rules in this world if you can actually subscribe to the keyword patience, which is easy to say and hard to do for a lot of teams. No, I couldn't couldn't have said it any better, Lance, because uh, in, in this day and age, you know, we used to talk about coaches who needed a five-year plan. And it was like, okay, maybe they need a four-year plan. Oh, oh no, no, hold on. How about three? Well, they and, cut and, it down to two. And and then in, in the last decade, We've seen some guys, and we know firsthand, only get two, and there have even been guys who only got one. Not here, but there have been guys oh, who've been, only gotten one sure. around the league. Steve Wilkes in Arizona. It, 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 the Wright. environment has totally changed. It's almost like the, the climate has changed, right? Global warming, right? They climate say. change, yeah. There's, there's a climate change in the NFL. That whole five-year plan thing is long gone and buried. You, you'll never get away with that today. I mean, it's just not the way it is. 
the ice caps are melting, Paul. Yeah, really. And both literally and figuratively it. speaking, right? Yeah. I mean, the big ice caps, Belichick, Pete Carroll are gone. I mean, the map of the NFL is changing no, in front for of our sure. very own eyes. Uh, but before we go, I know you have to, some spots to read, and we do want to get to your calls. 201-939-4513. I want to throw out a handshake to uh, Dexter Lawrence. Was not only named to the uh, NFLPA, that is the Players Union, uh, all-pro team, he also got named to the Associated Press's All-Pro Team. That's that's the real big one. That's the most the, the AP one. Yeah. NFL All-Pro Team, for you folks who may not be aware of all the different awards that come out, that's the one that, that kind of gets recognized the most. All right, When you talk about the NFL honors uh, during uh, the postseason, during Super Bowl week every year, and they announce those awards, those are the ones that are generally regarded to. Those are the Associated Press ones that are generally regarded as the premier awards. Not that the others are anything to sneeze at, because anytime uh, your peers or, or other uh, group within the foundation of football wants to give you something, you absolutely accept it and are honored to do so. But to be second-team All-NFL for the second year in a row, Dexter Lawrence now, uh, can't say enough, cannot say enough about how he did what he did last year, got the big free agent contract, and continued to go out there despite a team that had its ups and downs this year, performed at a level enough that, that everybody recognized that, my goodness, this guy's the real deal. And those were just released within the hour as I'm looking over the whole first mm-hmm. team and second team rosters. And, you know, that brings us also back to this defensive coordinator spot position because while they are moving on from Wink Martindale, it can't get overlooked the fact that Dex did thrive under Wink's guidance. And Andre Patterson, the sure, defensive line coach. Absolutely. Yeah. But the two of them, what they were able to bring out of Dex, we saw Xavier McKinney coming off a very strong season. Another Second player. Second half no- of the season. Yeah. Well, First I mean, half of the season, I think he would tell you he'd like to have back. But no, and that's fair. He got but, much better the last two months. Well, and then, I mean, even some of the younger guys, Deontay Banks, and I mean, Dane Belton, I know, didn't play much, but boy, he was ready to go when he had to fill in in the latter part of the season. I mean, all that, I think, is well, a reflection of the player, but also coaching. You know what will be interesting? Whoever the Giants wind up landing as their D.C., and we have no information right now as to the timetable or who those people might be or that they're going to talk to, but whoever lands that spot, he's going to have some some good guys on this staff to work with should he choose to retain them. We have talked about Coach Patterson being a really, really good defensive line coach, and the praises that he gets from his players are, are to the moon. And can't say enough about Jerome Henderson, who coaches the secondary. I mean, these two guys in particular. And I don't want to slight anybody else on the on the defensive staff. Well, Brian staff. Cox, I'd throw out there, working too. Well, he works with, with Andre Patterson. Patterson. Yeah. yeah, But he's the assistant D-line coach. Yes, That's the yes, only yes. I, I, yeah. So I, I don't, again, I, I didn't mean Shame to ignore on you, him. Paul. Shame on no you. No disrespect, Brian. We will I love not Brian. forgive you. But yeah. the point being that the Giants do have some really, really good guys on the staff. And, and it will be... Certainly uh, a question that the new D.C., when he comes in, Brian Dable's going to have to determine how much choice will he give him. Does Brian say, okay, the staff is what it is, you're just filling up that hole, or does he say, okay, you can come in as the D.C. and we'll allow you to tinker with some of the other spots on that side of the ball? We don't know the answer to that. Because no one, you know, no one's had a chance to interview Brian Dable since this this move had been made this past week. 
Uh, but but that's a question that that he, as a head coach, has to answer. Well, like anything else, you learn from past experiences, right, in life. So I think whatever he experienced with setups with other defensive coordinators, including the most recent one, will determine and influence what he wants to empower the new defensive coordinator, right? I got another question for you, which is a, a, another whole level of questions. Does he go to a guy who's got more experience with a 4-3 or 3-4? Well, that's a very fair question. It depends on also in Brian Dable's mind, you know, how much do you want to shake things up for the players, right? You got to take that into consideration, Paul. This is year three now for Brian mm -hmm. Dable and company. And you're looking at a defense that was extremely opportunistic this past season, struggled against the run, you know, had some games where they gave up a lot of yardage. I mean, let's not paint a rosy picture. There are still things that have to be cleaned up and worked on. Sure. But as we mentioned, you have a promising core and some young guys. Mm -hmm. How much more do you want to present new stuff to them? Right? It's the same thing. How many times, Paul, do I bring up the worst thing you could do to a young quarterback is every year bring in a new offensive coordinator? Right? I know. I mean, look I, at Justin I, Fields, I for example, in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Another new offensive coordinator. Okay? It's going to be his third in four years. Alex Smith, you've heard me talk about on this program. Mark Sanchez. I'm just using that, not to get off topic. No, I'm using that as an example it's of... relevant. You've got to look at your defensive group the same way. Because here, one other thing that I want to throw out, Paul, and this is not necessarily on Dable because he's responsible to hire who he wants when he comes in, but you know there's been a trend here going back to Shermer. There has been a new defensive coordinator every two years mm -hmm. with the Giants. Okay, mm -hmm. Now, part of that is they moved on from the head coach. Right. When you move on from the head coach... You can't control that. But you weren't moving on from the head coach. You moved on from the D.C., and here we go again where that theme continues. So, you know, he he, he has a team, does Coach Dable, that's been running a 3-4, a very aggressive 3-4. Yep. And he knows what those guys can do within that scheme. So does he say, okay, I've really got to go to a guy who's going to base his defense in the three-fourths to try to maintain some sense of consistency in terms of philosophy? Or does he say, you know what? Mm, I'd like to shake it up a bit. I think we can acquire some guys, whether it's through the draft or maybe we have some guys on our team now that I'd like to get some stuff out of. Remember, I'll give you an example. Ryder Anderson who was an undrafted rookie free agent, they were so high on him. He came back this past season, put on some bulk and size. As it turned out, he didn't get on the field. But he had put on some bulk and size with the expectation that because they had so many hopes for him, that he might be part of that defensive line. Well, he's not a nose tackle. He's probably not a three-technique tackle. What is he? He's probably more of a run-stuffing defensive end who would be better suited in a 4-3. So what if the Giants decide that, okay, maybe we'll go to a D.C. that goes 4-3 and now Ryder Anderson's going to be part of that defensive line mix because we think we've got somebody there who could be a pretty good player and we want to get him on the field. And I mean, you don't just change schemes for one player. I'm not, please, nobody out there start hitting me up on Twitter. That's not what I'm suggesting. But that can be part of the thought process that, okay, if we're going to go to 4-3, who do we have in the house that could fit that? And then how much would we have to get from the outside if we went that way? So the, there's, there's a lot of, of wheel turning 
that's going to go on here to making that decision. This is not an easy one. You don't just go to the supermarket shelf, blindly take something off it and say, hey, I'll buy this. It's not the way it goes. There's a tremendous amount of consternation that's involved here. Uh, here's the other part of the equation, too. You have corners built upon man-to-man coverage. Yes, you do. Okay? Sure. Because that's what Wink ran. If you bring in a defensive coordinator and now he asks the corners to play a different style of football, does that play to their strengths? You know, That's another thing that mm-hmm. I think Brian Dable has to take into consideration. But the way that I look at when you're looking for new position coaches or coordinators— it is a learning process for the head coach because I think what you also do is you get an outside perspective, Paul, whether you hire that individual or not, about how they view your team's personnel. Mm-hmm. So before you ultimately make the decision, I want to hear a full evaluation and breakdown of the defense from the right. potential candidate, meaning tell me how you envision this group. Yeah. Tell me how you'd use your secondary, how you use guys up front. Maybe... One of the individuals that he interviews, and I'm just going down a hypothetical road here because we don't know who and how many, says that they have a specific game plan about how they want to utilize Kayvon Thibodeau and why in a 4-3 he would thrive more so than a 3-4. And Brian Dable's blown away. And maybe Could you be. say, you know, given where you drafted Kayvon and the sack total he's coming off of last season, you want to see maybe it a little bit more spread out that, you know, you're intrigued by that. It's possible. Now, I agree with you. You don't change a defense for one player. No. But Thibodeau, where you drafted him and the outlook of the player, you at least give him more consideration than Ryder sure Anderson. You, I'll tell you absolutely that. Absolutely okay. you do. Can Bobby Okereke flourish in a 3-4 or a 4-3? Does that impact him that much? I don't know. I well, think because can... of his versatility that he showed with the Colts, and then what he did here, I don't think you have to worry about him adapting. Correct. I think the bigger questions are your pass rushers and where yes. they line up. That's number and one. And your down linemen. And your down linemen, which I would group into that a little bit. And then to me, the corners and the fact that there's such an emphasis on man-to-man. If you're now going to play more zone, do you now take away from the strengths of the player? So those are the two elements, I think, when evaluating the defense that you want really good feedback from the coordinator. To me, it wouldn't be something that I would say I wouldn't consider this candidate because they want to change the scheme. I wouldn't be turned off by that, but I would emphasize if you're going to make a change, how does it help or hurt those aspects of the defense? Well, again, you have to have that candidate's thoughts on what he thinks you have to work with, yeah. which you said before is the primary question. you got to answer that first. And then you have to figure out, okay, well, he wants to do this, this, and this. We've got this. Boy, we're going to have to overhaul this whole thing. He, I mean, we, we, we need to go shopping big time if we're going to be able to fit what he wants to do. Well, maybe, maybe that Mr. X isn't your guy then. Yeah. Because now you have to do too much ripping up and, and buying sure. or drafting or acquiring that it becomes impractical. I mean, to me... A guy who comes in and and has a system that requires some tweaks, you'll deal with it even if it's something that's different. You'll you'll be able to accept that. But if you gotta start ripping up the floorboards, now it's like I don't see how I could hire somebody who wants to be able to rip up the floorboards as a coordinator because this team is not in that position right now. They're in a position where they're building and they're trying to get back to the playoffs again next year. They're not in ripping down the floorboards mode, which is a full, full two steps back 
That's not where this team is. Well, it's not even so much to me, Paul, where you evaluate where the team is in terms of the direction. It's more of the personnel and the contracts, right? I mean, well, you drafted part, a lot a of... huge part that, of it. That, to me, is more of a reason why you wouldn't part. want it's to rip up team. everything. Well, that's what I'm getting. I mean, if you just look at the main starters, or forget starters, because, you know, I don't like that term. It's more of snap count. And you think about, well, who you're not losing. Kayvon's in the mix. Okay, Okereke's in the mix. McFadden's in the mix. You know, I just named you two guys for the 2022 draft class. Cordell Flott, 2022 draft class. Yeah. Deontay Banks, 23. Dane Belton was from 2022. Now, McKinney is a scheduled free agent. Okay, Dexter Lawrence you have locked up. DJ Davidson you drafted in 2022. Well, you, got you still you got have a Hawkins. year out of Ojolari. You got some young guys. Yeah, I mean, so the bulk of your roster, Jordan Riley you just drafted, you're not losing them unless you decide to move on from them and you trade them or whatever it may be. Very few guys are set to hit the market. So from that reason alone, that's more of a reason why you're not going to have as much flexibility and leeway to do some of the things you'd want if a defensive coordinator came in and said, okay, let's move A, B, C, and D. Yeah. You, again, you can't rip up the floorboards. You've just highlighted exactly why you can't. It, it's, it would have to be a tweaking of guys to try to fit the new system if, in fact— there was going to be a, a, a change to a 4-3. That, and you know what? To be honest with you, um, Ashawn Robinson and, and Nacho were two free agent linemen that the Giants signed to one-year deals this year, right? Yep. Okay. I think Ashawn Robinson had a strong second half of the season. Even he, Dable said that. You know, and he's the kind of guy who you'd be interested in bringing back, at least on the face of things, right? Well, that's a guy now who depending upon who the new D.C. is, you're going to want to hear what he has to say. Because, you know, Sean Robinson is a plugger. He's a nose tackle. He's a plugger more than he is anything else. Okay? He's not a penetrator. He's not a pass rusher. He's not a defensive end. You need to have a very specific role for what he's going to do if you're going to bring him back. So, you know, there's, there's a particular player who's going to be very interested in that hiring, I think. Right? Yeah. No, without a doubt. And I think there's a few other guys that fall under that umbrella, too. I mean, for example, let's look at McKinney here. Does McKinney take into consideration who the new defensive coordinator is? I mean, granted, know. they could give him the franchise tag. I'm just going down I, hypothetical. I, I, I suspect that George Washington's will be much more important to him than the uh, than the name of the DC. No, without a doubt. And once again, he may not have a say to hit the market because what happens if they tag right. him, right? He's right. going to be limited. But I'm just going down the road of how much a player takes into consideration who the play caller is and mm -hmm. where they see themselves fitting in. I think you at least need to take that into consideration. I'm with you, Paul. Do I think there are other factors that are far more influential in terms of his thinking, such as the almighty dollar, as well as some other factors. But don't overlook whether or not the scheme and the coordinator plays a role, especially when you have an individual that has the ability to hit the free agent market. So those are other factors. But I can guarantee you this. I don't think the Giants, at the end of the day, are making their decision on who the new defensive coordinator is going to be based on how McKinney views it. No. Okay? Uh, I can tell again, you that. No individual player. Yeah. Uh, but the, the vice versa is accurate. You're not going to base it off of an individual player, but you are certainly going to take in consideration the overall scheme compared to the overall roster base that you have in the house. That's true. And when you look at the hirings this offseason based on the moves 
that the Giants have made. Defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator, offensive line coach, running backs coach, and you could throw in strength and conditioning coach too. I would put offensive line coach and defensive coordinator, Paul, at the top of the list and probably mano a mano in terms of the level of importance and influence that it will have on the roster entering 2024. I mean, I don't know if you look at a different position no, I think that you want to trump think, those two. I but think you're right. Those I are the you're two. Right. Incredibly, incredibly important. I, look, we talked about this with with the uh, conversations involving the Eagles before the season, when their coordinators left, and and you in particular, of all the hosts on this program, you in particular said, don't don't overlook this. They've got two coordinator changes with the Philadelphia Eagles. And you know what? As it's played out this season, I know their back seven has gotten old, it's gotten slow, and it's gotten hurt. But the fact remains, as I've talked to scouts around the league, especially in this past month, they have said to me, coordinator-wise, they took a significant hit. And on both sides of the ball, that dramatically impacted this team, and it's become more apparent as the season went on. Well, and that's why I'm glad you brought that up, because... This now circles back to what we're talking about with the Giants. The Eagles, they had two coordinator changes, to your point. They went internal promotion on offense. Mm -hmm. Ryan Johnson, the QB coach, took over for Shane Steichen, who left to become the Colts head coach. On defense, they did not promote anybody internally, Paul. They brought in a completely new defensive mind in Sean Desai, Mm -hmm. who had no ties to the Eagles. So we could talk about, okay, you still got the big boys up front. Now, did those players play to the same level? This season, no. Did they get hit by injuries? Absolutely. So I don't want to put this all on the play caller change, but Desai came in, and he's not running things the way that Jonathan Gannon did, who left to go to Arizona. And then Matt Patricia comes in as an analyst, and he now takes over the play calling duties late in the season. So Desai didn't even last the entire season as the defensive play caller. So this is why I go to, you have to look at what change will do for your defense when you have a new person calling the plays and if it's a brand new scheme, which clearly it will because, let's face it, whoever comes in, Paul, is not running exactly what Wink did, okay? We don't need to wait for the hire. They're not going to duplicate everything that Wink did. Could they get some player feedback and say, okay, what did you do in these situations, guys, last season Mm -hmm. that you were comfortable with? Absolutely. I think every defensive coordinator should look into that. But that new defensive coordinator is going to come in and they're going to run their own scheme. Now, here's an example of where it worked. San Francisco. D'Amico Ryans gets the Houston Texans job, right? Right. So who does Kyle Shanahan bring in? Brings in Steve Wilkes. Yeah. Okay, who was with Carolina. Now, Steve Wilkes is not the second coming of D'Amico Ryans, okay? Steve Wilkes comes from a different background. He was a head coach, defensive coordinator. Now, I think the emphasis for Shanahan was, Steve, it's not broke. Don't attempt to fix it, okay? Try to do as much as what D'Amico did. And I think Wilkes did a lot of that. But you ask any of those Niners players, did Wilkes throw in some new things? Absolutely. But there's an example. I want to bring multiple examples in, Paul, because I think, once again, this all circles back to what we're viewing with respect to the Giants. Mm -hmm. You've had changes that have turned out good when you lose a really good play caller. And then we've had some changes, which have not necessarily gone as successful. And both the common element is you brought in an external individual as opposed to promoting somebody from within. So you're going to find some good. 
You're going to find some bad, but while change is inevitable, I think any head coach has to weigh how much change do you want to throw on your players. Well, to your point, and we got we talked about the respect that Jerome Henderson and Andre Patterson have both gained throughout their NFL careers, and in addition to what they've done here with the Giants, it would not surprise me, or I think it shouldn't surprise anybody, that those guys may even get uh, talk to well, I mean, we haven't about, talked about them. Much, we, yeah, we haven't, yeah. and, and that's remiss on our part. There would be no reason why, if those guys wanted to have an interview, that you you wouldn't talk to them and perhaps consider them. I, I mean, you know, to, to just like gloss over that would be foolish. No, very fair. You know, I'm bringing up Patterson's resume. I'm going real old school because oh, I was a, curious. No, it's long. No, no, but my he point has is done a lot. He has done, but I was curious whether or not. The defensive coordinator opportunities jump out, and I think He's people forget. Well, he was the co-defensive coordinator yes. in Minnesota yes. under Mike Zimmer. Correct. It was brief. It wasn't very long, but still, he has been in a position where he's called plays. He was even the defensive coordinator, Paul, at UTEP from 2010 to 2012 on the collegiate level. And I also don't think people even realize this: Patterson was also a head coach at Cal Poly. For three seasons mm-hmm. in the mid-90s. So he's been all over the place. He's known, you ask most people, defensive line coach comes up. But the man has been a coordinator. The man has been a head coach on various different levels. And he's been coaching football since 1982. So he knows a thing or two about and, the gridiron. And then maybe there's a chance that Coach Henderson and Coach Patterson are happy doing what they're doing and may not want to necessarily interview for the job. We have no idea. So let's just say, folks, again, I don't want people to start taking names out of context. No, and well, throwing I mean, we're not out. doing it. We're just having a conversation. We're, we're, we're simply yeah. saying that the, the spectrum is wide open. There's really no way to tell right now because there's no smokes, no smoke signals coming out of, out of this building that's given anybody any hints as to which way the Giants might lean. And I think you also need to look at Brian Dable and the teams he's worked for. For example, New England, Belichick, he has a track record of promoting from within, Paul. You look at how the Patriots were placed. I mean, even Dable. Dable started on the defensive side of the ball, right? Then moved to the offensive side of the ball Mm because Belichick's philosophy was, I want you to know all aspects of the team, especially when you come in as a young assistant. So the reason I bring that up is it's not as if Dable hasn't been exposed to a setup where internal promotions can be a good thing. Even in Buffalo, right? When you look at what Sean McDermott did, Sean McDermott promoted when Dable left, he promoted. I know that individual is not running the offense anymore, but still. So he's been in organizations where they subscribe to that school. Well, here's what's funny, right? I've seen a lot of articles out there by people who are automatically writing that Dable is connected to this guy, this guy, and this guy, and this guy. So those are are the possible guys he's going to talk to, right? Well, let me ask you this. Why is that an automatic assumption? Because when he took the Giants head coaching job, he had no connection to Mike Kafka, who he hired as the OC. Yep. He had no connection to Wick Martindale, who he hired as the DC. He had no connection to Thomas McGahee, who remained as the special teams coordinator. So he's been through the head coaching uh, situation once where he had to, to make decisions on those three jobs, and he did not for any of those three jobs, hire a guy from his past. He did not. 
So why would we automatically assume that he would now? I don't think anybody should make any assumptions. No, that's very fair. I think this this window is wide open, and I this is why I don't I don't like hypotheticals, and I don't like to speculate, and I don't like to throw names like mud against the wall because when you really get down to the bare facts and the truth, you can put any narrative on this search or these searches that you want to and use any logic that you want to. But the truth of the matter is anything is possible. And that's the only truth that anybody can truly write about. Anything is possible. Well, I also think it's a disservice to you as a head coach if you don't look a little bit outside your own box because you never know. You could maybe find a gem. I'll give you the best example. I always use this up. I think I've referenced this when the Giants have gone through other head coaching hirings and they have tried to find coordinators. When Pat Shermer was here, one of the things, Paul, if you remember that he mentioned why he hired James Betcher, and forget about how it turned out. That's not the point of this exercise. The reason why he hired James Betcher, and they had no history, was when he'd go up against Betcher's defenses as an offensive play caller, Betcher would always give him trouble. And he respected that, well, right? Dable so said that, was that about, with Wink. about Wink well, on the defensive but it side. But goes, it goes back even you know, to the historical archives. That's sure, why I didn't stop sure. with Dable. I went even further because other coaches think like that. So sometimes you may not have history, but you're so intrigued by bringing that guy alongside you because you knew he was a thorn in your side every time right. you had the game plan. So who knows? Maybe Dable goes down that road again and he sees somebody out there and he says, you know what? Every time we prepared for those defenses, that was a real pain in you-know-what. He could very well think like that. There are so many different angles to this prism that, uh, you know, just to to look at somebody's list and say, oh, these six guys have connections to Dable in the past. To me, that's shallow, it's a disservice, and it's a worthless list because you just don't know how many other angles are more important to him in his search than, oh, just being connected to him, which may in fact be an angle that he's not even thinking about. Maybe he doesn't even care about that. Well, here's the thing. When he put his staff together two years ago, he had a combination of, as you laid out, individuals, no ties to, and then he had some individuals who he brought over from Buffalo. So we have mixed results. That means he could go in either direction, right? as you mentioned. I wouldn't rule any aspect out. I went through Andre Patterson's resume. In fairness, I just want to run through Jerome Henderson because I think we should okay. owe him the same level just of respect. A couple minutes, right? One hundred percent. Well, I think Jerome just about done. I think Jerome would appreciate if we take sure. the final two minutes. Big fan to of at least and, and throw out both. what he's done. Well, just as a means of comparison, this is not to upgrade or downgrade anybody on the current staff, just so that our audience can understand his background. And Jerome Henderson, first of all, played in the NFL for many years. That's yes. number one. I don't know if many people realize he's that ninety-one jet. to nineteen ninety-eight. He was a defensive back, and he does not have play calling experience or head coaching experience, but like Andre Patterson, he's been a DB's coach for many years. Goes back to 2007 when he was an assistant DB's coach. Then he got the main title with the Jets. He was with Cleveland. He was with Dallas. He was with Atlanta where he was the defensive passing game coordinator, then came to the Giants in 2020. And then actually in between, and this goes to show you a little bit of different experience on his resume. He was the director of player development for the Jets for two seasons Mm -hmm. in 2006 to 2007 after he was DB's coach and then prior to joining Cleveland where he obviously has had some ties to Brian Dable along the way, even going back to their days with the Jets. So he, like Andre Patterson, 
They've been with many different teams. They've been around the NFL circuit for over a decade. Those are two individuals that definitely jump off the page if Brian Dable does want to look at an internal promotion. But right now, your guess is as good as ours. The process is going to play out. We just know at this stage that the offensive line coach is in place, which gives them an opportunity now to start evaluating some of the young talent in the draft and for Brasillo to also evaluate pending free agents Mm -hmm. and the young guys that may have dealt with injuries so that once they get back here in the spring with OTAs, they will have a full plan to attack how they want things to play out in the trenches. So with that being said, that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as the mobile app. It's also part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. So we'll be back up and running on Tuesday. No show on Monday. Right. It is MLK's birthday. So you can, if you missed any of this show, maybe don't watch the full show and savor it for the next few days and then Monday comes along and finish the program. Maybe by then they'll have some hires. They may. The show but, you will know, be outdated. I think we gave a full... <laughs> nuance and breakdown up, of the Jeff. Giants Wrap coaching up, staff. Yeah, I'm just giving up. a recommendation here with the holiday weekend occurring. But we will be back up and running live on Tuesday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest and we'll speak to you early next week right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one. Turns out a delightfully clean home can make for a delightful start to the day. At Mrs. Myers, everything they make is inspired by the garden. With plant-derived and other thoughtfully chosen ingredients, their cleaning products smell like a dream and work like the Dickens, leaving your home sparkly clean and your to-do list tackled in no time. Goodness, there's no better feeling than that. Mrs. Myers, rooted in goodness. Visit MrsMyers.com today. This is where projects come to life. Our showrooms are designed to inspire with the latest products from top brands, curated in an inviting, hands-on environment, and a team of industry experts to support your project. We'll be there to make sure everything goes as planned, from product selection to delivery coordination. At Ferguson Bath, Kitchen, and Lighting Gallery, your project is our priority. Find great brands like Kohler at your local showroom or visit us online at ferguson.com build.